0: You know, I came across a story that I had actually forgotten not too long ago. There were a couple of guys, or three guys actually, a couple of them in their 20s, and uh, one was uh, 41. Uh, so you had a guy who was 21, a guy who was 25, and a guy who was 41. And this was a number of years ago. The three of them, they worked at Atari. Anybody remember Atari? Uh, they <laughs> um, And they worked there together, and they would meet after hours and just talk about the technology of the day and how much they loved video games and uh, where they thought the technology was going to be going in the future. And uh, one of them was an actual genius uh, who was an engineering genius and could design great things. Another one of them was very passionate, kind of an enge- you know, uh, a marketing mindset. Uh, and the third one, the guy who was 41, was kind of the adult in the room. <laughs> and uh, and he he would always draw the conversation back to reality. But the three of them decided, you know what, what we really need to do is, Atari's not really doing it for us. Uh, there's, there's more, I think, that technology can do uh, if we would really just apply the genius of our friend here. Um, and so they decided to start a computer company uh, in the 70s. Uh, when things were just getting going And uh, Ronald was The guy's name was 41 And they started this deal and he'd written it up And 12 days into it though Ronald got cold feet uh, He thought I'm not so sure about this This is really kind of weird I need security, I need safety I need to know the plan I need the details of the plan If I don't have the details of the plan Then I- I'm not going to walk this way uh, And so they, those 12 days went at the end of those 12 days, he finally told the other two guys, I'm out. Like uh, He had 10% stake in this new venture, this new company. He said, "Just I'm leaving. You just buy me out. At the time, it was $2,300. Give me my $2,300, and I'm gone. And so they did, and he left the company uh, that went on to become massive because the other two guys' names were Steve and Steve, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and founded Apple computer company, and Ronald Wayne was the one who stepped away at the beginning because he didn't know all the details of where it was going to go, and Ronald Wayne now lives in a little tiny place in Nevada selling stamps and going to the casino every day, Uh, and um, right now Apple Computer Company is, uh, now they're Apple Inc., is uh, worth as a company over a trillion dollars. And at the time, he had a 10% stake, so do the math in your head. Um, But all because he didn't have the details. And a lot of times in our lives, when we try to take a step out and do what God desires us to do, we want a little more details than God gives us. Am I right? We want to know a little more information sometimes than what he gives us. It's not uh, uh, very comfortable to step out on faith to do the Indiana Jones big step over the cliff and find the pathway there. We we want to know a little more. We want to find a little more security. You know and and sometimes as we plan for Christmas, we want a little more details from our family about what's going to be going on. About the situation, about where we're going to be going, about who what kind of food we're going to be having, about which of our family members is actually going to be coming to Christmas so we can be mentally prepared for those conversations and interactions when we get there. We want a little more details. But if we would rely more on Jesus than on knowing the details, we might find that we had a little more faith. You know, and that's what Christmas is all about is about Jesus. Jesus is all over Christmas. It's in the name of Christmas. Christmas Christ mass mass being the name of a church service. And Christ, so it was a church service about the celebration of Jesus' birth. Christmas is Christ's Mass. Every time you hear somebody say Christmas, they're talking about a celebration about Jesus' birth. It's all over the decorations. The Christmas tree is a representation of Jesus. There was a missionary named Boniface who was ministering to a group of people who worshiped this giant tree. And he went out, this missionary, and chopped the tree down. And say, stop worshiping a tree. What you need to worship is Jesus, just like, and he pointed to these evergreen trees, kind of like how we have Christmas trees. He says, to see how they're, they're angled, they look like arrows pointing towards heaven, towards Jesus. And so they began not to worship the tree anymore, but used the tree, cut it down, brought it into their house as something to remind them to always point. To Jesus, which is why we still have Christmas trees today. So Christmas trees that we have everywhere, not even in believers' homes, but in, in all over the place, points to Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. Jesus is all over Christmas, even if people don't realize it or even want to uh, recognize it. Jesus has a profound effect on everyone who comes in contact with him, which is what we're going to see today as well in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Last week, Micah talked about Joseph. Jesus had a profound effect on Joseph, changed the course of his life dramatically. Joseph was going to leave Mary, uh, and the angel came to him and said, no, you need to follow the path the Lord has set you on and stay with Mary because that child that she's pregnant with is Jesus, the Son of God. And so he stayed, and and his life was forever changed. So we're going to see here in Luke chapter 1 is it's not just Joseph whose life was forever changed. Everyone who came in contact with Jesus had their life forever changed. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent, was sent, which is a very important word. Uh, In in the original language, that, that phrase, was sent, is another word that we use today called apostle. You ever heard the word apostle? It comes from that, was sent. That word means to be sent out with a message, which is what an apostle is. Someone sent out with a message. This angel was sent out from the presence of God, it says, with a message to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Who's heard of Nazareth? If Nazareth was not where where Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, were from, none of you would ever have heard of Nazareth. Nazareth was a no nothing podunk, middle-of-nowhere town that nobody cared about. And we see that later on in Jesus' ministry when somebody said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, nothing good comes from there. We only know of Nazareth because of its contact with Jesus. Jesus made this town famous. And so the angel comes to Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And so we have this girl, Mary, who was betrothed in gays, is how we would phrase it now, a little bit more than that, but that's pretty much what it was. And her name was Mary. Now, lots of speculation is out there about how old Mary was. And uh, almost universally from what I could find, guys who know a lot about the first century, um, Mary was most likely 13. So parents of teenagers... Imagine that for a second (laughs) Mary's about 13 here And the angel comes and visits her Angel Gabriel He comes to Mary at 13 years old Now we don't know where Mary is right here She could be out in the field She could be in her house She could be in her bedroom uh, uh, She could be anywhere She could be traveling from home to first century Walmart We don't know Just the angel comes to her at some point And uh, speaks to her Verse 28 he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So the messenger, the angel, opens the conversation. And what's interesting, though, are a lot of things, as we're going to see in Mary's response in a second, is throughout Scripture, we rarely see an angel coming, not only to a woman, but a child, coming and speaking in this way, as though they were a fully grown adult. And that's what the angel does. Greetings, hi. O favored one, the Lord is with you. It's very. I studied this, this sentence extensively uh, in trying to really understand, okay, what's, what's he saying? Is there anything there that, that is more than what we're, we're gathering just from, from the surface level stuff? And it would seem in the angel calling her favored, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And calling her favored, it would seem that her favor comes because the Lord is with her. He says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It would seem in in the way it's phrased in the original language that she's favored because the Lord is with her, not necessarily because she earned God's favor. Mary did not do anything to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can tell from the text until you get to the end that she has done anything to earn God's favor. And what we can see from other scriptures is we cannot earn God's favor, God's favor cannot be earned. God's favor cannot be earned. The Lord's favor is given and not earned. Similar in Scripture to every other passage we see. When when Scripture tells us uh, to love, to honor, to respect, in all of those instances, it's given as an instruction, as something to do, as an imperative. We're to do those things. We are to love. We are to honor. We are to respect. It's a decision we make. In the same way, the Lord's favor is given and not earned. He decides to give it. He decides to give it. We can't earn God's favor because we're sinful human beings. We cannot earn God's favor. God's favor is given free of charge to us. It cost him a great deal, Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, which we see. If you're a believer, you believe in Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, uh, then you have the Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 14. You believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you. And then you have the Holy Spirit, so you have the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Lord's favor, and the Holy Spirit is proof of His favor on you. That word favor actually literally means grace. You have the grace of God, you have the Lord's favor, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is proof of God's favor, of God's grace on you. So Mary's favor uh, that the Lord had for her was not because of her, but because the Lord was with her. The Lord was with her because she believed. The Lord's favor is there. But a lot of times we get in trouble. Even if we can mentally assent to this and say, okay, I understand. I can't earn the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor comes with his Holy Spirit. His grace comes with his Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus. But we still tend to think of that word favor like the way we interpret it today in you know, 21st century you know, phrasing. And we do this a lot where we take our 21st century brains and try to interpret 1st century phrasing. And sometimes we mess stuff up a little bit. Uh, Because we say things different in 21st century America than they said in 1st century Judea, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? I can tell you right now, we say things different than people said five years ago. We say stuff different all the time. That's why the dictionary updates their dictionary every year, because we say stuff differently. And so uh, the Lord's favor, though, uh, sometimes how we think of it, almost, we're not going to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it right now. We, we, We think about it this way, almost like a good luck charm. I've got the Lord. That person has the Lord's favor. That means everything they touch is gold. Everything they touch is success. No matter what they under, they've got the Lord's favor. That means they can do anything, and they're going to find success at it. Now, we're not going to say that because that feels weird saying it's like good luck. God is good luck, Because not not. That's not the way God works. But sometimes it's how we think of the Lord's favor. Is they're going to find success in what they do. But the Lord's favor is different. That's not how the Lord's favor works works, Lord's favor on, is on you in the same sense that you have his spirit. Mar- Mary was a believer in that she believed what was coming. She believed, she did not doubt that this was an angel from God. We see later on in the passage she believes what he is going to instruct in her to do and what he places in her life in the Jesus who's going to be with her. She believes that, she understands that, she uh, uh, lives her life in accordance with that. From What we can tell So God's favor was on her Because he placed it on her And she walked in that favor But she was still human She still sinned She still made mistakes as we all do But the Lord's favor is on us When we receive his Holy Spirit His grace is on us when we receive his Holy Spirit And his Holy Spirit brings strength And brings guidance And brings um, uh, love And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control the lord's favor the lord's grace the holy spirit brings all of that with him into our lives now whether we avail ourselves of that favor of that grace of the holy spirit's influence is on us just because you have the holy spirit doesn't mean you're filled with the holy spirit just because you have the holy spirit doesn't mean you're always going to have joy and rely on the holy spirit to bring you joy Just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're always going to have peace and rely on the Holy Spirit when situations are crazy to give you peace. Just because you have the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in your life doesn't mean you're always going to listen to him. Sometimes, even though we have the Holy Spirit, we will confuse the Holy Spirit's voice for something else, somebody else's voice. Sometimes we will because it may agree with something we're already thinking. I don't know if y'all do this. I do this sometimes. We, We tend to believe the voices that speak our own opinions back into us more than we believe the truth sometimes. And the Holy Spirit will always speak truth into us. And so the Lord's favor, His grace, comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit, comes with His presence in our lives. We've got to listen to His influence. So look at Mary, All right, Let's let's look at her reaction a little bit. Okay? So this angel comes, tells her she has the favor of God, Tells her that the Lord is with her. His presence is on her. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, now this, I love this sentence. So she's troubled, like we talked a minute ago, because angels didn't typically come to somebody like her. But God doesn't do stuff as people anticipate or expect or as things are typically done or traditionally done. God does things according to what, how he wants them to be done. And so he came to this 13-year-old girl, this angel, and he spoke to her. And look at Mary's, what she does. She tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, now I see in that, now we, we can read all kinds of things into that, but what she's trying to do is she's trying to process what he's saying. Trying to think, why is he coming to me? Trying to think, why is he saying what he's saying? I don't understand what he's saying. So she's trying to process everything he's saying and not actually listening to what he's saying. She's trying to understand and grab a hold of instead of just greeting him back. He says greetings. She doesn't say greetings back. She's trying to grasp what's going on here. How often often might we hear something from the Lord and instead of listening to the voice of the Lord, we spend too much time trying to process what he's saying, trying to discern what he's saying, trying to actually... (laughs) Maybe you don't do this, none of you do this you're all holy, but you try to find a loophole out of what he's saying so you don't feel uncomfortable or weird or awkward. go and tell that person about jesus well, I will at some point you know they they've seen I had Jesus on my shirt, and so i did I told them about Jesus, and so we try to find you don't again y'all are holy I do i've done this we try to find a way out of what he's saying and 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 not actually listen to what he's saying well. We're trying what we're doing in that moment is trying to discern our way out of following God's plan and God's will. God comes to Mary through this angel, and this angel says to her, Greetings, O favored One, the Lord's with you. And Mary's really trying to think and process and, and discern what he's saying. But he as there's a pause in the conversation, the angel just continues to speak. Says, Well, she's not gonna respond, so I'm gonna start keep talking. Verse thirty. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he says it again. You have found favor with God. God's favor is on you, and everything in your life is about to change. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about processing it. Don't worry about trying to discern what I'm saying. Just listen to what I'm saying. Verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So he gives her three statements there, three things to do that, honestly, she's not going to have a whole lot of say in what it is. But he says, you will conceive, you will bear, and you will call. Conceive, bear, call. That's So far, that's what he says your role is going to be. There's going to be a whole lot more that goes into that, but that's the the general uh, information that she's given. Now imagine if you were 13 and this information was given to you. All right? You're going to conceive. You're going to bear. You're going to call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves or Savior. So Mary's hearing all of this. But again, the angel keeps talking, verse 32, talking about Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. That would have stood out in her mind. This is the Messiah. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so the angel kind of gives her an outline of who Jesus is going to be. He's saying, you're going to give birth, and it's going to be the Son of God. This baby is going to be the Son of God. He will be great. His very nature will be great. He will have the throne of his father, David. He will be a king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, the believers, forever of his kingdom, there will be no, he, he will reign for all time. So Mary, again, first century Jewish girl, 13 years old, would have been taught about the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would have been taught about the prophecies that took place a thousand years before, hundreds of years before this And she would have been taught those things. And so he's saying these words, and she's thinking, okay, everything that we've learned, everything we've been taught in in, in school is leading to this moment. And now this angel who's come to visit her is saying, this is the moment all those guys have been talking about. This is the moment that everybody's been talking about for hundreds of years, and you are right in the middle of it. And so Mary takes this in. And look at her response. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin How will this be Mary wants more details Give me some more details on this On this plan Okay did, did, I, uh, uh, Tell me how this is going to happen Give me some specifics Lay this out for me here angel Okay Because this doesn't make any sense Mary immediately wants to know how She wants to know the plan She, she wants the angel to lay out a specific structure And timeline of the process Because it's not how the things are supposed to work She's like, I know know, I've been taught some of these prophecies and stuff And I don't understand what you're saying here, angel Give me me some details Give me some specifics of what's going to happen You know, she, like us Wants to know the ins and outs Of the process Wants to know the ins and outs of the situation Before she fully commits She wants it all laid out before her Before she says, I'm in I'm going to go all in with this Because you're giving me all the information Well, the angel's not giving her And I'm back. It's gone and now I'm back again. All right. It didn't take three days. But they she wants everything that's there. And when I was really trying to digest that and meditating on that understanding of why would she say how? You know, we've always looked at Mary as, as the end of the passage. She says, I'm willing to do whatever the Lord wants. But here in the middle, she she wants the specifics. And I, I begin to apply that to myself. Say there's a lot of times I want the specifics. I want to know everything that's possible. And even more than wanting to know, I want to control everything that's going on. I want to control it. And sometimes what I think happens is the knowing as much as we can, understanding as much as we can about a plan or something that's going to happen in the future or in the very near future, and trying to know as much as possible, that's an equivalent to controlling the situation. Because we want control. We want it as much as possible. And if we can know more, then we can feel like we're in more control because we're more in the know. And if I'm more in the know, then I'm more in control, and then I feel more comfortable with the situation I'm in, even if it's an uncomfortable situation. And so when I can't control the situation, I just want to know everything that's possible to know the inner workings, or at least, you know, that would make me feel a little more in control. However, to be in control or to feel in control, I first had to wrestle control away from the Lord. If I feel like I'm in control of a situation, that means I really don't understand the situation because the Lord's in control. The Lord, God is in control. God has a plan, and God's plan is good. And so if I am in control or if I feel like I'm, I'm in control, at least internally, I have wrestled control away from God. And I'm not following his control I'm not trusting his abilities His sovereignty, his power And so when I would come to God And I say, God, how is this going to happen? God, give me some specific outline here I know I'm only on step two But I want to know step three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten I want to know them all Unbeknownst to me, there's a hundred steps Not just ten steps But God doesn't give me those steps He just gives me the step I'm on until I finish that step And then he's going to give me the next one Because as you've heard me say before, if you've been here very long, God's not going to give you a life where you don't need him. A lot of times we want to pray away God's need, our need for God in our lives. And so we pray in a way that we don't need God on step three when we're on step two. We want step three, four, five. And God says, no, just trust me now and then I will give you the next information when you get to the next step. You're not ready for it yet. But we say, God, I'm ready for it now. I want to know now. Give me everything you got. God, I need to know how this is going to play out. I need to know how I'm going to pay that bill that's coming on Tuesday. God, I need to know what's go- how we're going to accomplish this thing. And God says, that's not for you to know yet. You need to trust me where you're at. You're not going to trust me where you're going if you don't trust me right now. It's not going to happen. If you don't have trust on step two, there's no way you're going to have trust on step 92. You need to trust where you are before you can trust where you're going you got to trust me now. And it all comes down to trust. Do I trust God enough that I don't need to know all the details, all the plans that need to be accomplished? Do I trust God in the process? Do I trust him in the process that he's going to take care of it? He's going to deliver on his promises. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added. Do I trust his promises? Or do I want to know everything that there is to know? Do I want to control everything there is to control? You know if we really dialed down on this if we knew all the details of the of the process then we would feel like we don't need god in the process if we knew all the details then we wouldn't come to god in the midst of the process if i'm on step two and i know about step three four and five i get to step three then i'm gonna feel like i don't need god to get to step four because i've already got the information I'm not going to come to him every day on my knees. I'm not going to come to him and say, God, how do I do today? How do I accomplish this? How do I get through this? If, I'm in the, if it's August and I'm in the midst of a, of a deep, difficult thing, and God says that thing is going to pass in a few months, then I've just got to wait it out and not rely on God through September and October and November and December and January and February. If, if we knew in, in, in March how COVID was going to go, we still don't know when this deal is going to end. If it's, we don't know. But if we knew an end date, we would be striving for the end date and not trusting God in the in-between. God's not going to give that to you because he knows people. We see it with the Israelites over and over and over again. God didn't give them the next step, and they still went off and tried to create their own next step. Man, how, do, how often do we do that, Right? I mean, just look all the way back at Abraham, the very first one. The very first one God calls to, I'm going to make you a great nation. And what does Abraham do? He doesn't wait. He waits for a little while, but then gets tired of waiting and goes around and tries to make his own plan, tries to make his own path, and he creates millennia of problems as a result of his own path. Maybe God doesn't want you to take step three yet because it's not ready yet. Maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe you need to wait because your impact from step two to step three in the faith, in the waiting, will impact somebody else and allow them to be used by God in the process and grow you both to a place far beyond where you could have been otherwise. We need to trust God. Mike is going to help me real quick. You see, I've got this little platform deal here, and if I'm up here following the plan of God, and I get to the edge, and I'm like, man, you know, I'm on step two, and I know I've got to get back there. How am I going to get there if I'm on step two? I know there's got to be something coming, but man, God's taking, man, come on, man. God's taking forever, and I'm looking, and, and I don't see anything, and, and something's coming, Something's coming. I don't know it's coming. Something's coming. God's, God's working always. If you remember when God came to Moses and said, I want you to go and deliver my people from Egypt, and Moses laid out all of these complaints and all these problems, God had already sent his brother Aaron to come to him. Before God even called Moses, the plan was already in, in, in motion. But if I'm on step two and I want to go somewhere and God told me something's coming and I want to do something else and I don't know when it's going to be there, I've got to have patience and wait until the step is in place. Because God's using somebody else to bring the step there. God's growing somebody else to bring the step where it needs to be, to prepare for what is going to be there. And I could take that step in advance and I would end up falling to a depth I was not at previously. Or I can wait for God and when step three arrives and he says, okay, you're done with step two, take step three. And I realize I'm at an elevation I was not at before. And I would not have been at that elevation if I had taken step two or step three into a place that was not there. Or I had gone in my own direction and tried to come up with my own plan and try to go my own way. Then I would not be where God wanted me to be. Because if I go my own way and step four comes along, and it's another two feet above this one, I'm in no position to get on step four. Because I'm walking around here back on step one, and I thought I've really advanced when really I've gone backwards. Because I refused to wait on God. Refused to go where God wanted me to go. I refused to wait. And I was too busy wanting to know all of the details than to just sit where God has me until God says go. Man, far too often we do that, right? When God's, what we need to do is not move until God says move. Not step until God says step. Because when we step and God hadn't said step, we get into all kinds of trouble. We get into all kinds of problems. We end up in, in friendships and relationships that lead us down a path we don't need to go down. Man, I can, I was wondering why God gave me this story this week. There's a young man I knew when I was a youth minister. Phenomenal young man. He had a, a really difficult childhood. And he came to church. He was brought to church. And he got saved. And he lived a life. And, and uh, you could talk to him and, and, and in conversation with him. He loved the Lord. But in waiting on the Lord, some guys came into his life through the church, and they introduced him to drugs. And they became his supplier. A young man, I mean, in, uh, right out of high school and college. And uh, I rem- <laughs> it, it still hurts. Getting the call, he had OD'd and died. And those friends were there. And they came to that funeral. And I, remember, I can remember sitting there and being so mad at those guys. Because I knew them. Being so mad that they were there And it was their fault But it wasn't necessarily just their fault It was sin's fault It was sin's fault Because we live in a sin-riddled world A broken world And He had not waited on God And because he got out of where God wanted him to go And was wandering around He was not ready When the next step came And the next step came And he could not get there and because he could not get there, he saw some other guys on the same plane as he, as he was, and he walked with them. And he, he lived with them and became like them, and they influenced him in a far heavier way than the Holy Spirit did. Now, that's, that's a, an extreme story, but it's also a true one because it happens in our lives every day. We get to a point, and we want to, to, to do something God has maybe given us a word, or, or we know even just from Scripture, the Great Commission, you know, uh, 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 baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To, uh, teach them uh, everything that I've commanded you. And go and make disciples of all nations. He's he told us to tell people about him, but we don't do it. You know, we we hesitate. We 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 don't step out on faith, or we don't pray what the disciples prayed in Acts chapter 4. You know, when they were being threatened with arrest and death, they prayed for more bravery to tell more people about Jesus to put them in more danger. They didn't pray for safety. And but what we often do is we we don't we get scared of the ledge, we get scared of the next step, we get scared of what God's calling us to, we get scared of where we're going, we get scared of what's coming next, and so we sidestep it and we end up taking a step down and don't realize that the step that's coming is far greater and not only is the step that's coming far greater for us the one who's bringing i mean micah pushing that step over here he got stronger in the process of pushing the thing it's not easy to push this thing this thing's heavy y'all should try to push this stuff it's heavy you know, He grew stronger in pushing it And if I, had wait, if I had not waited And jumped off and gone my own way he, and, uh, he had given up Because where he was pushing it for me to step And he stopped He would not be as strong as he would have been Had he pushed it the whole way And so my waiting on That was almost bad news right there Y'all, y'all thought I was going to at some point fall off this stage You had no idea it was going to be that one uh, And so if I had not waited He would have given up and gone on But because I waited, it grew him in strength And he's able to do what God has for him next Because I waited to do what God had for me next And so waiting in the process Even if you don't know the next step Wait until God brings the step And then take it And see what God's going to do with that And that will take you to a whole new elevation That you were not at before And so Mary hears this from the angel Or she asks this question How will this be? And the angel gives her an answer That's not an answer Verse 35 The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born. Uh, The child who will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel basically tells Mary, Mary says, how's this going to be? The angel says, well, God is going to do it. He doesn't give her any specifics. He doesn't give her a plan. He doesn't give her an outline. He doesn't give her a timeline. He just says God's going to do it. It's going to happen today. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen in a year. We don't know. We just know that the angel said God's going to do it. He will do it. So Mary had been communicated generally of what's going to happen, not in specifics in any way, shape, or form. And if God had gave specifics about her role in how the future plays out in us, if God gives us specifics about our role and how the future plays out, we wouldn't need to rely on him for our daily bread, which is in Jesus' the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Mary would have to go to the source daily for that daily strength, for that daily bread. She would have to rely on him daily, and so that's Mary's response in verse 38. Having gotten to this point, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May it be to me. Basically what that means is may it become what you're saying. I want this thing that you have said to happen to me exactly as you have said it to happen. I, in in uh, a prayer that I'm praying, may this thing occur in that exact same form. Mary willingly walked into God's plan, not knowing any of the specifics of how, when, or even exactly what was going to happen to her. But she was willing to walk the uncertain road because the Lord had come to her. Because, honestly, Jesus was going to be with her. Jesus was going to have profound impact on her. Mary was okay not knowing the details because of who was with her. Jesus was going to bring Mary peace and confidence and strength. And she was going to find that in relying on him and seeing God do great things and work in their lives. And so, just using Mary's example, her willingness there, having asked the question, how is this possible, and receiving that answer from the angel, only God's going to do it. She says, okay, because God's going to do it, I'm going to trust God's going to do it, and I'm going to wait until God does it. Uh, And see what he does And once he does it I'm going to listen and pray And seek him out every single day To see what the next step is I'm not going to jump the gun I'm not going to go around I'm going to be willing to follow What God's plan is today And maybe come noon He's going to give me step three And I need to step on step three at noon And start to pray Okay God now that I'm on step three What do I need to do now? Just wait Until I give you more word Keep doing the last thing That I told you to do Until I tell you something new Keep doing what I've already told you to do. Persevere. Stick with it. Stick it out. Keep going where I've already told you to go until I tell you something new. And so Mary had peace, had that great joy in having Jesus with her. And so I can know peace when I don't know the details because I know Jesus. I can have peace about an uncertain future because I know Jesus. I can know peace because I know Jesus. I can know, I can have peace irregardless of the political system. I can have peace irregardless of the bank account. I can have peace irregardless of that letter that you get in the mail from the health insurance. I can have peace irregardless of what my boss said. I can have peace irregardless of the stock market, irregardless of who's president. Now, or at the end of January, or what the news says, or what Twitter says, I can have peace, because I know Jesus. Jesus brings peace. Not any of that other stuff. That may bring some sort of fabrication that makes you feel good in the moment, because it's it's comfortable, and you feel like, again, I know more information, so I'm more in control, and I feel better. But in doing that, I don't have to trust Jesus for the next step entrusting Jesus with the next step. He's going to bring me something and take me somewhere that I could not have gotten there otherwise. Because if we keep bringing blocks out here that go up another foot and a half every step, I'm going to end up well above that monitor on the back wall. I'm going to end up almost to the ceiling by the time we get to the back. And I can't get there by myself. I need somebody to bring that along so I can take another step up. And only trusting in God and waiting for the next step, for him to bring the next step, even if I don't know the details, I don't know how Micah's going to come and wheel that thing out here. I don't know what's coming next or how God's going to do it. I just need to trust that God is going to do it. I don't need to know how. I need to know that he is, because he's God, and he's going to do it. You think those disciples who had heard over and over and over again Jesus was going to raise from the dead, that when he died, they still remembered he was going to raise from the dead? I bet that's, that, that, those words still rang in their heads, but they didn't believe it. That's why they ran scared. That's why they locked themselves in a room for fear they were next. They didn't believe. Even though they knew it, they had heard it, their experience taught them something different. But sometimes, when experience is telling us one thing and God is telling us something else, we need to trust God more than what we perceive to be our reality. Because who created reality? God. And so, how I perceive reality may not be what's really happening. You see, before that block came over here in front of the stage, my reality was there's nothing there, and if I step out, I'm going to fall. And I'm going to get injured. And, and it's not going to be pretty. But I had, in the illustration, I had to wait until God brought something there for me to step on. And it wasn't when maybe I wanted it to be there, but it was there when God needed it to be there. When I needed it to be there, if I would have waited, then I could take that step up. But I can't take the step until God tells me to. And so wherever you find yourself in your life, in your situation, wait on God. Don't give a condition on being willing. You know, like Mary's phrase at the end? May it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Don't say, let it be to me according to your word. Only if you give me more information. Only if you tell me a little bit more about how this is going to go down. Only if I can know exactly when it's going to start and when it's going to end, and that's the only way that I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy into this deal, God. Give me some more details. I need it in order to go with this. But faith is taking a step before you know all the details. And in the process, you may know none of the details until you look back and observe all the ways God delivered you to get you to where you are now. And he did. Faith is trusting that God will have the step in place when he says take that step. And it may defy all ration and all reason. But you take the step when God says take it. Not when everybody else says take it. Not when even experience says take it. You take the step of faith when God says take it. Because only then will you discover that God is taking you somewhere new. Trust God. Trust him trust him know jesus know peace know him know who he is and then you can know peace experience peace but do you know jesus is the question there's two questions actually first one is, do you know jesus do you believe that he god's son died so all your sins would be forgiven And he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. That's how you know Jesus. That's how you're introduced to him, is believing in his death, forgiving your sins, his resurrection, granting you eternal life, granting you life after you die. If you believe in Jesus, then that's where it starts. So whether you're watching online or you're in the room and you need to believe in Jesus, that's how you do it. You just believe that he came and he died and he rose from the dead. And so that's where where all of this starts. That's how you can find peace. That's how you can find a future that he has planned for you, the very purpose for which he created you. You can discover that in knowing Jesus, and you know Jesus by believing in Jesus. But then, having believed in Jesus, finding favor in Jesus, following the influence of the Holy Spirit, you have to ask yourself, do I trust him? It's an easy thing to say. It's harder to do. You have to ask yourself, do I trust him? Do I trust Jesus? Do you trust him for your daily bread today? Today. Maybe you don't know the plan God has for you tomorrow, but do you trust him even if he reveals something to you today? Do you trust him for today? Trust him. Believe in Jesus, step one. Step two, trust him with step three. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Over and above everything else. I was reading a book this past week. And in it, it, there was one section in there on uh, Mother Teresa, and she had a quote that said, faithfulness, not success. Faithfulness in the eyes of God, not success in the eyes of people. What matters most is trusting God, being faithful to God's word, God's plan, God's instruction. That's what matters. Faithfulness, trusting in the Lord. Do you trust him today? Today.